Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Bat Around. I'm your host, Paul Valley. He's my ho my my ho my co-host, <laughs> Ryan Blake. Today's show is brought to you by Superbook. Huge weekend in Baltimore as the Ravens host their first AFC game in franchise history and the first in Baltimore in 53 years. And if you're feeling confident they can cover the four points against the Chiefs, now is the time to sign. Sign up with Superbook. When you sign up at Superbook, use the code 3 and you'll receive a same-day first bet match. Up to $250, win or lose. So head over to Superbook with the code PRESSBOX23 now and get your free money. Uh, welcome in to the Battle Round. Ryan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Paul. Uh, the, the Ravens are up to minus 4 at this point. We got a 4-point yeah, spread. It, that's what it was when we made our picks on Thursday, and that's what it was yesterday when Glenn wrote the uh, the promo. So nice. There we go. Four. I know they opened it at three or three and a half, but uh, yeah. yeah. It, look, everyone and their mother seems to be in on the Ravens, unless you're a Chiefs fan or a Swifty. So uh, uh, part of that scares me a little bit, but uh, you know, it, this is a really good Ravens team. We'll talk about them at the end of the show. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Also, we want to um, make sure we wish. The late, great Mo Gabba, a happy 18th birthday. That came yesterday. We didn't have a show yesterday, so we're wishing him a happy heavenly birthday to Mo Gabba today. Um, you know, one of the biggest fans in Baltimore sports history, tragically um, battled cancer for the majority of his life, and we lost him back in 2020 um, at the age of 14. Uh, so happy birthday to Mo Gabba. We know you'll be with the Ravens uh, as they make a march towards the Super Bowl, hopefully their third in franchise history. Uh, Orioles spring training pitchers and catchers report in 18 days. First, uh, they report on February 14th. First uh, workout is the 15th, and the first full squad workout is scheduled for February 20th. Um, Ryan, what kind of storylines are you looking for out of the out of spring training for the Orioles this year? Because 95% of the team is returning, and almost almost every position is pretty set. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see. Uh... There are three things in particular. Number one are Tyler Wells and or DL Hall going to get a legitimate shot at the rotation. Uh, that's number one. because We do have a lot of starting pitching options. Uh, those are two guys who have excelled in bullpen roles, but they, you know, they've got the talent we've seen in the past to be good starters. So uh, that's one thing I'm looking for. Number two, has Heston Kerstad taken the leap over Colton Kowser on the outfield food chain? I don't think Cedric Mullins is going anywhere. Austin Hayes isn't going anywhere. Santander is not going anywhere unless we see a trade. So those three positions are spoken for. Obviously, we know Santander is going to DH a lot. But that fourth outfield spot, it's likely going to go to one of Kowser or Kerstad. And Kowser has been, for the last few years, the more notable prospect, has had the better trajectory up the minor league system. But Kerstad's made a bigger impact on the big league team to this point. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that competition plays out. And then obviously the infield, you know, we've got so many dudes who have a shot, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, Jackson holiday, all, you know, knocking on the door, who's going to make the opening day roster. What are going to be the regular, you know, positions in a, in a typical lineup for the Orioles. Uh, so those are, those are the big, So for groups. me, I like what you said about DL hall and Tyler Wells. And, and, and look, I've seen what Tyler Wells can do. He can be really good. He can give up a lot of home runs, um, but he can be really good back end of a bullpen and he can be really good in the starting rotation. Again, this is a guy who had the lowest whip in baseball um, the first half of the season. And if he had been named an all-star, it would have been with good reason. Most of the first half is ERA was sub three. So um, he has a legitimate argument to get a shot at that rotation. I found it interesting that the Birdland Caravan, when things got kicked off with 98 Rock on Thursday, that Mike Elias said that they view DL Hall long-term as a starting pitcher and whether they get him stretched out this year in spring training, the quick ramp up to have a shot at the rotation, or they start him in the bullpen with a, with a slower ramp up with the idea of him starting somewhere down the line, maybe not even this year, but maybe in 2025 and moving forward. Either way, I found it interesting that they still view him as a starting pitcher, which might speak to why he was still in baseball America's top 100 prospects when they got released last week. Um, for me, I'd rather see D.L. Hall. I think his stuff can be so filthy. He's proven he can dominate big league hitters uh, with what he did in the bullpen last year or this past season. So I'd like to see him get an opportunity because at this point in time, 
I think that Dylan Cease is a um, it's a pipe dream. I don't. I think that their White Sox are asking for too much, and he's more of a deadline deal at this point. Um, anywhere else doesn't really show a willingness to part with um, top prospects. So that's my first storyline, along with yours. Um, the second one for me is going to be Jackson Holiday. Um, is Jackson Holiday going to get a fair shake? They said he will. Um, but we we legitimately thought that Grayson Rodriguez was going to break camp in the rotation almost regardless of what happened in spring training, and he got beaten out by Tyler Wells. So um, I really want to see if Jackson Holiday, number one overall prospect in, for Baseball America and for MLB Pipeline, that just came out with their rankings yesterday. Um, is he going to get an opportunity to play, and where is he going to play? Do they view him or Gunnar Henderson as a better shortstop? Has Gunnar Henderson earned the majority of starts as shortstop based on winning Rookie of the Year and doing what he did last year? Um, either way, I think that that Orioles infield is going to shake out really nicely. I think that they're going to have a really solid um, uh, set of guys to play those three positions. Uh, and then the other storyline, it kind of piggybacks off of that for me, and it's Jordan Westberg. I have I one of my bold predictions. I think Jordan Westberg is going to be an All Star this year. Uh, we've seen this guy. He was a, a competitive balance uh, pick, uh, which was essentially a first round pick coming out of the draft in 2020. And he's worked his way up through the Orioles system. He was better than a league average hitter uh, last season uh, in his half season with the Orioles. He's going to get an opportunity to play third base or second base, a little bit of shortstop. He said when they asked him yesterday. He doesn't care where he plays. He'll he'll play all nine positions if they need him to. Uh, and he's got that versatility to, to do that. So I, I really want to see how Jordan Westberg looks in spring training because I think he's going to be off and running. I think we're going to look up at his at the scoreboard when he's batting sometime in August and see him hitting about 275 with 20-plus homers and 70-plus RBIs and be like, holy shit, that dude's a dude. Uh, so that those are my top three uh, storylines. I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the spring shakes out. You know, the, Mike Elias spoke for there was a about a 17 and a half minute video that Masson posted. And, you know, it was a lot of GM speak and there there wasn't much, um, you know, there weren't really firm answers to anything. It was, you know, we're looking at this, we're, we're thinking about that. But we just won 101 games in the American League East pennant and most of the team is coming back. And so, you know, that's the mindset I have coming into this. And with these younger guys knocking on the door, you know, namely Jackson Holiday, it's it's going to be exciting to see how spring training. Yeah, uh, comes you know, together. Jackson Holiday, Heston Kerstad, Colton Kowser. You know, we we, we kind of make Colton Kowser an afterthought uh, when it comes to this roster because he was so bad when he came up here. I mean, he, his first game, he stung the ball hard a couple of times. I think he drove in a run. But then after that, man, he he struck out like 23 times in like 46 at-bats and ended up back down in the minor leagues where his average dropped 30 points before he went off in the postseason, helping them win a an Eastern League crown and then a national uh, AAA crown, uh, including that grand slam in the championship game. Yeah. That was a shot. That was oh, over he, the bat. Remember the 476-foot shot that he hit off the scoreboard in Ed, Ed Smith Stadium at center field? Back in spring training, the yeah, bat's there, yeah. man. He's just got to have the confidence to put it all together. It's going to be really, really fun to see a lot of these young guys, especially him and Kerstad, Jackson Holiday, Jordan Westbrook, uh, Joey Ortiz. You know, I think Joey Ortiz could start shortstop for half the teams in baseball right now. Um, it's going to be really fun to see those guys get after it. It's going to be really fun to see Kyle Brash and Grayson Rodriguez take even that next step forward. Uh, I'm really excited about this team. So it's going to be a lot of storylines to watch moving forward for sure. Also really excited about this weekend's playoff football. Uh, no playoff football watch party is complete without Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Get an eight-piece mix for just $12 or a 10-piece dark for just $15 at your neighborhood Royal Farms. Right, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I went to go get my – my mother-in-law has been with us each weekend since my daughter was born. She's here again. So I went to go get some muffins and some donuts, and I was right next to a Royal Farms. Uh, when I pulled up and I could smell the fried chicken 
outside. I could legitimately smell the fried chicken outside. <laughs> Dude, it was like a shot of dopamine or something. It was ab- that sense was absolutely intoxicating. My buddy always like I always bring to our football parties, I bring these little cocktail weenies and this taco dip that I make um that people just go nuts for. Not what you're thinking, not that like seven layer dip. It's like a taco and like salsa con queso type of dip. It's awesome. But um sure, yeah. But my buddy always provides either pizza or like chicken tenders. I'm going to tell him, dude, you got to get, you got to get Royal Farms fried chicken, man. After that smelling that all morning, I, I have to have it watching football tomorrow. <laughs> anyway, now that I've gone oh, off yeah. on a tangent about Royal Farms, go get yours today. Eight piece mix for just $12 or 10 piece dark for just 15 at your neighborhood Royal Farms. Um, the Birdland Caravan. Today's the last day of events. It got kicked off on Thursday, like we said, with Mike Elias um, and Brandon Hyde at the uh, 98 Rock kickoff event. Last night they were at um, Hopkins Brewery, and I think they were at Union or what? No, Guinness Brewery. Yeah, Guinness was yesterday. Union yeah, Craft Union Craft is tonight. I think that's the last event. But um, they were at Hopkins Brewery. My sister was prominent in a lot of pictures because my sister, my sister is a full time settlement officer. Uh, for Black Oak title, and she's the best in the business. She is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and that whole team over there, Black Oak, oh, shameless uh, shameless plug for them. They're, they're all friends of mine. They, they just crush it over there. But um, my sister uh, has worked for Looney's and Bel Air. She worked her way all the way up to the general manager until she left in 2018 to pursue a, a career as a, a settlement officer. But she still bartends and manages on the weekends at Hopkins. So she is in so many pictures in the background from last night. And she actually got a picture with Mike Elias, mm-hmm. uh, which I was super jealous about. I posted on Twitter. My sister got to meet Mike Elias before I did. Um, and I was supposed to go to that event <laughs> last night, but I had a meeting at work that turned into three. So I ended up not getting to make it to that event, but it looked like it was awesome. A ton of people were there. I know that for a fact. She said she got absolutely crushed. But um, in your opinion, how's this Birdland Caravan going? Have you been able to make it to an event? Are you going tonight? Uh, because I know that the one, I think the Union one is, uh, no, no. Um, what's it? The, the one in Catonsville is near you, right? So, yeah, the, the one in Catonsville, so I, I, I might try to go tonight. Megan has, has been a little under the weather, so we haven't done anything uh, this week yet. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to see such a great crowd turn out at all these events. Uh, we, we were hoping to do Guinness last night, uh, but maybe tonight in Catonsville. I, it, it's kind of weird. They said, I guess, State Farm or State Fair, uh, which is uh, my cousin used to work there, actually. And then a couple other spots. It looks like they're going to be jumping around a little bit in like that downtown Catonsville area. But that's where I was born and raised. So, you know, we'll try to make it to one of those events. Uh, they got bowling and top golf going on right now. Those both started at 10 o'clock, just like our show. We got a couple fan rallies this afternoon at some local schools, photo ops with the players. So, you know, it's it's always good when you can get the fans out to these kind of events. And it seems like despite the lack of, I guess, firepower in the guest lists, they've, they've had yeah, some good man, A lot of people dropped out. Um, DL Hall dropped out. Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes, um, Zach Britton had to, had to drop out. Uh, I think he had an injury or something he had to get taken care of. And then Gunner and Adley were both, yeah. you know, different parts of the country right now. Adley over out of Oregon state, he was speaking to his alma mater and Gunnar Henderson up in New York at a um, banquet to receive his rookie of the year award. So it's um, a lot of star power was lost at these events. We saw Cedric Mullins cut the locks off. Cedric Mullins going with the fresh fade. Um, <laughs> somebody posted, Oh man, 25, 25 season coming from Cedric Mullins. I I'm, I'm looking for a big bounce back from him, man. Hopefully he can stay healthy and provide that. But, um, but yeah, man, I, I have yet to oh, yeah. make it out to any Birdland caravan event. Um, you know, a lot of times my schedule just won't allow it. And yesterday I had all, every intention in the world of heading out to Hopkins. But by the time that third meeting at the third meeting ended, it was already four 30 and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law were coming at, were coming in to visit the baby. So I had to be home. It, there's no opportunity for me to get there, but uh, hopefully everybody's having a great time and everybody's having yeah. a great time bowling in the top golf. And hopefully you're watching us on your cell phones while you're at top golf. 
um, with all the guys. So hope you're all having a great time out there. We talked about last week, Baseball America released your top 24 prospect rankings. Just as a reminder, Jackson Holiday coming in at number one, Samuel Basayo, number 10, Kobe Mayo, number 25, Colt Cows, number 34, Hessen Kerstow, number 41, and the aforementioned DL Hall at number 93. Well, last night, MLB Pipeline released theirs. Holiday, number one. Sam Wabasayo, 17, Kowser, 19, Mayo, 30, Kerstad, 32, and Joey Ortiz, top 63, coming in at number 63. Jackson Holiday, he joins Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson's recent Orioles prospects to appear in the number one slot. And Ryan, again, Samuel Basayo getting into the top 20 after not even being on the list last year really speaks to the type of prospect he's turned himself into. Yeah, it's, it's been a meteoric rise for, for both Jackson Holiday and Samuel Basayo. Uh, so, you know, and we, we talked at length about Basayo last week and what could make him the number one prospect in the future. Uh, it, it There's a very real, realistic possibility that it's not too far off and that the Orioles could have four straight as Baseball America's number one in their preseason rankings. Uh, Rutschman was not, I don't believe, was ever number one in their preseason rankings. He did appear in the number one spot. Uh, at, at one point, I think it was mid 2021 uh, with their update. But uh, prior to 2022, I believe he was a spot behind Bobby Witt Jr. for that number one spot. Uh, Gunner was the number one prospect preseason last year. He goes on to win rookie of the year. Jackson Holiday, the number one prospect in baseball this year. We could have a back to back American League rookie of the years. And by the way, winning these rookie of the years has helped us stockpile. Uh, compensatory draft picks. The Orioles have three picks, I believe, in mm-hmm. the first 37 of this year's draft. And, uh, man, just more more fuel to the fire, more potential spots for guys who could climb up this list, just like we've seen Jackson Holiday and Samuel Basayo do. It's exciting, man. Five guys in the top 32 is it's exceptional. Absolutely. You know, the, the Orioles, yeah. And they, the Orioles don't lead the league in top 100 prospects. I believe it's the Cubs that have seven. However, when you break it down by like, you know, they call it a prospect score where you get 100 points for being the number one, 99 for number two, and so on and so forth. Uh, the Orioles blew the Cubs out of the water. So despite the Cubs having more players on the list, the Orioles have them higher. And so, you know, it, it's the best farm in baseball, and I don't I don't think that's up for It really debate. isn't up for debate. And they have some guys who are on the outside looking in but could be there with big seasons this year. I mean, you look at their minor league – their organizational minor league pitcher of the year, Chase McDermott, was a monster at double-A, and he was even better at triple-A. Uh, Seth Johnson, you know, he's never pitched above high-A, but there are talk that, there's talk that he might make his big league debut this summer. Now, that's how good he is. Came over in that Trey Mancini trade. You love Cade Povich, Jordan Armbruster. Uh, and those are just on, on the pitching side of things. And you're looking at, you know, Dylan, Dylan Beavers and Judd Fabian, um, who could who, who could make themselves household names in Baltimore with uh, back-to-back big seasons this year. And what's the other guy's name? Uh, something Clark, I want to say, is what his name is. Um, you think uh, Max No, Wagner no, Max Wagner is another guy who I didn't think of, but he's he's a guy who could have a big year and put himself into those into those conversations. But it's a guy he went out to the air. Cook, Cook, um, Billy Cook, oh, Billy Cook, Billy Cook. Yeah. A uh, lot of power, and he had he had a nice Arizona fall fall league. He's a guy who could he had a nice year last year and could put himself into that conversation as well. So the Orioles farm system is up and thriving. Clearly, the runaway number one farm system in baseball. And like you said, three picks in the top 37. I think it might even be the top 33, uh, but I could be mistaken. Um, but, but three in the top 40 at worst, uh, they're going to keep stockpiling this farm system. And then who knows, they might be trading for one of those A starting pitchers or a bat to supplement the roster because of all the talent that they have and no place to put them. So it's a great position yeah. that the Orioles have put themselves in. The, as they always say, the cliche term, a good problem to have. Um, now, <laughs> I want to do – I, I want to do uh, – I do want to talk a little bit about Michael Lorenzen, and you did the legwork on uh, making sure that this was in the notes. The Orioles were linked to him at the trade deadline last year, and I did not want him. And it's not because I don't think he's a good pitcher. It's because at the time that he got traded, he had 105 and two-thirds innings pitched. He spent the bulk of his career as a reliever, and he hadn't thrown over 100 innings since 2015. So we're already looking at the fact that we have John Means coming back uh, after the deadline, and 
he was going to be very limited in his innings. Tyler Wells was losing steam. He had already been demoted by the deadline because his arm had run out of gas because of his innings limit. We knew Grayson Rodriguez uh, was going to be on that innings limit too. So why would we want to bring in another pitcher who's going to hit that, who's likely going to hit that wall? And Lorenzen, at the time of the trade, 358 ERA, 105 and two-thirds innings with the Tigers. He goes to the Phillies. He, I think he gave up um, two runs on three hits in his first start. And then in the second start, he threw a no-hitter. And then after that, he fell off a cliff. Why? Because he hit that wall. He did throw 153 innings between the Tigers and the Phillies last year. You have to imagine that he can get that bump up now to 175, 180 innings and be okay. And if that's a guy, if you have a starting pitcher in your rotation that can pitch to a three and a half ERA in 175 to 180 innings, I'd sign up for that any day of the week. So I think that, and he's really athletic, really athletic. We saw him pinch hit. We've seen him play the outfield. This is a guy, if you, if you're in a situation like the Orioles were, where they had to put Heston Kerstad in left field. I can't remember who they were playing. It was towards the end of the season. Kerstad had to go play left field. And then after one out, I think it was Toronto, after one out, then they had to go and put Ryan O'Hearn in left field. You're in a situation where maybe you don't have to do that because of the pitching and you have Mike Lorenzen. For me, I would be okay with the Orioles signing Michael Lorenzen to be at the back end of their rotation. I think that that could be the best of both worlds because um, you're signing a back end guy. Um, but you're also signing a guy who was an all-star last year, who's thrown a no-hitter, who has an opportunity to really, you know, have a nice season for you this season. Yeah, and look, he's not a guy whose numbers jump out at you on the stat sheet, but you talk about his athleticism. It, he is a guy who had legitimate two-way player aspirations not long ago. And so, you know, you look at him as someone who can provide a little bit of versatility, is athletic enough to pitch deep into a season, I would think. Uh, you know, we mentioned some fatigue last year, fell off a little bit towards the end, but you know, he can, he can make that jump add another 20, 30 innings onto that, that, you know, 153 that he threw last year and you're, you're looking good. Um, you know, it's not, it wouldn't be a sexy signing by any stretch. Um, it's, it, it almost feels boring mm -hmm. to me, but it would be lazy for me to just think of the name and not look at the numbers and realize that he would be a slight upgrade for this rotation. Uh, so with that in mind, I'm fine with it. I, I think I mean, we, we need to go get someone, right? We, we, we need to stockpile arms and the, the trade market has been crazy. I don't think Dylan Cease is on the table preseason anymore. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at a guy like Lorenzen, someone of his, ilk i guess is a necessary addition and it's you know a veteran tonight you know help the young guys a little bit kind of like we had gibson last year hopefully able to eat some innings and you know if, if he's closer to who he was in detroit last year you know we all scoffed at him being an all-star because everyone needs a representative and he happened to be detroit's despite you know not great numbers he was still solid yeah. for them and if, if he can do that again for us and be the pitcher he was before he was traded then yeah, it's it's hard to say no. Uh, and if I look at it as okay, you had Jordan Lyles in 2022, and Lyles won what 12 games in 2022. He had an ERA about 4.49, I think. Um, and then he he got replaced by Kyle Gibson, who won 15 games for the Orioles with a 4.73 ERA. Now, if you told me that Kyle Gibson would replace Jordan Lyles, who who would that, and then Mike Lorenzen would replace Kyle Gibson, who had a better ERA than both of those guys in 2022 and 2023, as their fifth starter. Uh, and he, maybe he's their fourth starter. Maybe Dean Kramer's your fifth starter. Either way, a rotation that has uh, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, Mike Lorenzen, and Dean Kramer, there's a lot worse rotations in baseball than that. Like, a lot rotations in baseball to that I can I can live with that and I really I do believe that a guy like Lorenzen I, I'm convincing myself the more I think about it that, that I, I would be on board with the signing of him uh, I really believe that a guy like him they could ramp up his innings this year and he could go out there and perform especially with their pitching development staff 
that they have. I, I do believe that he could go out there and have a nice season for the Orioles. So if they sign him, I'm on board. Sign me up. If they don't and they say, look, we're going to let the, the fifth starter be a, a competition between D.L. Hall and Tyler Wells, I'm cool with that too. I think the Orioles' rotation is going to be really good this year. I, just, I, I think I, so too. Yeah, it's... Um, now, before we continue talking about – I do there's something I wanted to bring up about some guys that the Orioles have been linked to in free agency. Before I do that, I want to remind you, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. That's 1-800-GAMBLER or helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Uh, and what I wanted to talk about, Ryan, is because I got into, into a little bit of a, a friendly debate. Not many debates I've been in on Twitter have been friendly. This one was friendly. <laughs> um, about guys like Domingo Herman and Aroldis Chapman and Trevor Bauer, who fans have linked the Orioles to. Nobody with, pro with of any prominence has linked the Orioles to Trevor Bauer. I am staunchly against either of my professional teams, the Ravens or the Orioles, employing players that have ever put their hands on a woman. I am staunchly against that. Okay. Um, Aroldis Chapman, I've said on this show in both iterations of this show, human piece of garbage. He is absolutely a steaming pile of human trash. Uh, Domingo Herman falls into that category as well. Um, he has been suspended for an entire season for beating up his girlfriend. He has been suspended for 10 days for using illegal substance on the mound, like a sticky substance on the mound. He's been in and out. He's been in and out of rehab for alcohol and substance abuse. I don't want guys. And then Trevor Bauer. Yeah, maybe he was, um, he, he was, what's the word I'm looking for? He, not not acquitted, not, not acquitted but, but he was he was um, all charges were dropped he, he was he was found to be innocent i guess um and you can't really use the term innocent they just dropped the charges um against trevor bauer by, right. the, by the one main one and people are like oh that he was exonerated he was exonerated he was exonerated yeah, yeah. well yeah by that one but there were four other um women who came forward with allegations against trevor bauer and when the, where there's smoke there's fire I say that, but against the Miami Dolphins, the Baltimore Ravens had their legend of the game be Ray Rice, who was on video punching his fiance not once but twice in the face in an elevator and then dragging her out of that same elevator. Now, what, what Ray Rice has done since then, he's been an advocate for domestic violence, um, speaking out against it a, a number of occasions. Um, he, he donates uh, to foundations, and he's done – and he, he – has re rehabilitated himself uh, in the public eye. He, and you know, the same woman has stood up next to him proudly. They got married not too long after that. And she stood out there saying, this is not who Ray Rice is. This was an isolated incident. Um, so Ray Rice, maybe you can forgive him for that. We cheer for Terrell Suggs. He's going to be honored at the game tomorrow. And there's been domestic violence issues there that we won't get into. Um, we cheer for these guys. I cheer for them. I have a Terrell Suggs jersey in my closet upstairs. No, I've never bought a Terrell Suggs jersey. They were gifted to me. But the guy is going to go into the Hall of Fame as a Baltimore Raven, and he's going to be cheered by 71,000 fans tomorrow. I'm staunchly against domestic violence. I'm staunchly against a ma any man putting his hands on a woman. However, we cheer for these guys like Ray Rice and Terrell Suggs because they helped the, the Ravens win football games and win a Super Bowl. Matt Harvey signed with the Orioles twice, and yeah, he didn't beat up women as far as we know, but he was a drug addict who was linked to Tyler Skaggs, and yeah, he said he only gave three pills to Skaggs, and Skaggs would give him pills, and he wasn't the main uh, – I, I firmly think that Tyler Skaggs, that would have happened regardless of whether Matt Harvey was involved, but the Orioles signed him, and then the year at the, after that 2021 season, he was linked to that. He had to go stand up in front of a judge and talk about it, and then – they signed him again. He never made it back to the major leagues, but he pitched in the minor leagues for the Orioles in 2022. Are your th are, am, am I holding the Orioles to a higher standard than I hold that I've held the Ravens to in the past? Are we wrong for cheering for these guys and telling saying these guys are pieces of crap? Where do you stand on this whole thing? 
it's it's tough man i i agree with you a hundred percent um on you know your views it's it's i i'm very much against if if the orioles went out and signed a domingo herman which they were just linked to him for the first time this past week i'd be furious i'd be absolutely furious because of his history uh same thing with chapman i i've i share the same beliefs as you on him um and yeah it, look you think about and I, I think you hit the nail on the head with Ray Rice. Uh, you know, that was an incident that was because there was video of it. The whole world knew about it. And so the Ravens cut him as they should have. He's done everything right since then. And it's hard when you look at. Sports are something that we take seriously because we care about the the mm-hmm. team, Right. When players end up on that team, by default, we care about them too. It's tough, and this is this is so hard to vocalize. It's it's hard to separate a player's personal life from what they do on the field when what they do on the field is what matters to the performance mm. of your team, right? And so we don't know the personal lives of all of these players. I'm sure there are dudes we have cheered on who behind closed doors are pieces mm-hmm. of garbage, right? There's got to be tons of them, right? That's just a lot of athletes are. It's hard to, and independent of that, right? It's easier to look at guys like Domingo Herman and Aroldis Chapman because they're like former Yankees, right? It's easier to look at them and say, screw mm-hmm. them forever. I feel like I'd be a little more forgiving if it happened to an Oriole, which is is weird to say because that shouldn't be the case, but it's because of the jersey that mm-hmm. they wear, right? And I, I had a conversation about with a friend about this last week, you know, around Deshaun Watson, um, and you know, he was kind of telling me that he has an easier time separating the, those two things. You know, what what happens off the field? Sure, there's a they're a garbage person, but you're not cheering for the name on the back of their jersey you're cheering for the team on the front mm-hmm. right and i look I, I i understand that but at the same time like how if the orioles were to go out and sign domingo herman how would i every fifth day if he's in the rotation how would i cheer for him i don't think right. i could i like so it's it's really tough man it's it's so hard you feel like you know Politics is so involved and intertwined in sports these days. And not that, you know, putting your hands on women is a political issue, but it's just, it's so hard to separate those two mm-hmm. things when it comes it, to it, sports. It really is. And I, I feel like, I feel like I'm starting to lose my train of thought or lose what I'm trying to say. I hope I made a, no, a no, it's point there, you, you but made, you make perfect sense. It, for me, it's like I, I the, the very first show that you and I did, they had linked the Orioles to Aroldis Chapman. And I said, absolutely unequivocally, no, he shouldn't be pitching anywhere in baseball, let alone for my team. My, when I say my team, the team that, that I root for, right? Yeah. Um, I say, absolutely not. Um, but then it, when you're watching the game, I couldn't root for him. TJ Hushmanzada, um, Played wide receiver for the Bengals. That's what he's prominent for. I hated TJ Hushman's out. I hated him. Hated him. He came to Baltimore. I still hated him. I still hated him even when he was in Baltimore. I found a way to cheer for him because he was with the Ravens. He scored that game-winning touchdown against the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Um, and then he dropped one against the Steelers in Pittsburgh that cost the Ravens a game. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, he didn't do anything domestically wrong. He didn't use drugs. He was never in trouble in the, uh, in the news. He was a model player. I just hated him. And I found myself finding it difficult to root for T.J. Hushmanzada. I hate Aroldis Chapman. I hate Domingo Herman. They pitched for the Yankees, which has nothing to do with my hatred for them. It, it has everything to do with their, their character, who they are as a person. If I found it hard to root for T.J. Hushmanzada and all he did was be a loudmouth wide receiver for the Bengals, there is just no chance that I can root for Domingo Herman. I would be rooting for injury. 
I would be rooting for injury and loss for the season. That's what I'd be rooting for for both of them. This every time they stepped on the mound, I'd hope, I hope that you blow your arm out on this on on the on the yeah. so so that I don't, so have, I don't have to, to root, root for you. you. You don't want to wish injury upon anybody, but you don't deserve my my good graces. Those guys, they, they no, deserve my course. good graces. If you bro- blow your arm out, my life goes on, and I don't give two shits about you. Um, and the, right. those guys, not like you, Ryan. If you, Ryan, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you go to the gym and you break your arm doing a curl, you know what I mean. I'm gonna feel really bad for you. Those guys, they can, right. they can eat crap and die. I like, I, I can't yeah. stand, I can't stand those guys. They need to just get out, get, get away from anything that has to do with the Orioles. To make up our mind, it's not the first time he's been linked to the Orioles this offseason. It's the first time he's been credibly linked to the Orioles this this offseason. My my stance will always remain the same on him, and I'd like to think that the stance remains the same from Mike Elias. Now we talked about Matt Harvey and his involvement in that, he, and my argument was: <clears throat> Look, Tyler Skaggs, whether he got the drugs from Matt Harvey or the the personal trainer or whoever, was going to get those drugs. And I don't blame Matt Harvey because he didn't take him and force open his mouth and shove those pills down his throat. And drug addicts like to do drugs with other drug addicts. Like, there's no surprise there. There are drug drug addicts in my family who have been sober for over a decade who are really, like, well-rounded, contributing citizens to society who have beautiful families. So I'm not going to sit there and judge somebody for doing drugs who has repented, gotten sober, and turned their life around. You know what I mean? But the guy's argument was if the Orioles had signed Matt Harvey, why wouldn't you be okay with them signing this person? He was playing devil's advocate. Of course, he said that he feels the same way about Chapman and her mom that I do. Should the stance be different for Matt Harvey? Somebody died. Somebody died. Again, he didn't kill the person, but somebody died who he was involved with using drugs with. Uh, Is our stance too soft on Matt Harvey, or is it – a situation is completely different. I, I think it's entirely different. Um, when you're when you're addicted to drugs, like you said, Paul, you're going to find a way to get mm. them. Um, I don't think Matt Harvey is to blame. He he had his own problems as well. He admitted to cocaine use when he was with the Mets, a whole slew of things. And let's not act like Matt Harvey was a stand-up guy mm. himself. You know, <clears throat> to our knowledge, he never put his hands on a woman, at least not nothing that was revealed publicly, but you know, he played in New York and he was a stud pitcher on the New York Mets and he drove expensive cars and he dated supermodels and you know, yeah, he, he got involved with maybe not the best crowd. I look, the Skaggs thing was, was inevitable. Um, I, I don't think Harvey is to blame. It, it'd be, it'd be lazy to say that he didn't have a role. Sure. Sure. He did, you know, um, but like you said, those kind of people gravitate mm-hmm. toward each other and they're going to supply each other with things that maybe they shouldn't be doing, but they're doing it for themselves right. too. So look, I, I don't, I'm sure Matt Harvey feels terribly about what happened to Skaggs, but it was going to happen regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the way drug addiction works. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's an entirely different scenario, but with that said, like it, it, falls into the similar category where it's how do you separate a person's character from the Jersey mm-hmm. that they wear? Mm-hmm. Right. And I, you know, I mentioned politics. I've seen so many people on social media who like a player's politics get revealed and it's like, screw this guy. He doesn't have the same beliefs as me. Who like, cares? Wh- he's why? Playing, he's playing you baseball. Like, <clears throat> yeah. And there's a, there's a part of me that like, all right, if it's a, if it's a reliever for the Rays who refuses to wear a pride hat, then yeah, I'm going to hope he gets shelled when he's on the mound, but it's not because I think he's a garbage person. He just has different beliefs mm-hmm. than some of us. Right. Um, it, it's so it, I think it's a matter of like, where do you draw that line? And I think putting your hands on a woman is far yeah. beyond the, I, the, the line is a dot to you at, at that. Point. They, they, you can come back from yeah. drug abuse. You can come back from being just a, a, a crappy human being. Um, you can't come back from, putting your hands on a woman unless you do what Ray Rice did. And we like Ray Rice is kind of a, a, a standalone as far as professional athletes are concerned, because you don't hear about these other guys doing that. You don't hear about these other guys who've been linked to domestic violence, going out and repenting and taking all the steps that Ray Rice took. 
uh, you don't hear it in the same way. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, Kareem Hunt is still catching passes mm -hmm. and running the football. Why wasn't he exiled the way Ray and Rice there was, was video of it. You know, it, it's there was video of it. Yeah, because exactly. Ray Rice averaged three yards a carry the year the year before this all happened. <laughs> And Kareem Hunt was, what, 23 years old and coming off of yeah. a dominant rookie Great, season. But, and he was cut by the yeah, Chiefs. The, the, I'll give the, the Chiefs, Chiefs credit cut for him, that. And he got another, another opportunity. If Ray Rice yeah. had cut him off a Pro Bowl season in 2013 where he averaged four and a half yards to carry, somebody would have signed him. The Ravens, I, I, I firmly believe, knowing Steve Bishotti's character, I firmly believe the Ravens would have cut him regardless. Um, but Ray Rice would have been signed someplace else. It's because he averaged 3.1 yards per carry in 2013 that he did not play football ever again. And he was already, yeah, what, 27, yeah, his, 28? His, his best years were behind him, and that, he he dug his own grave on that one. we got to move on. Yeah. Uh, somebody who has never been in the news for negative uh, stuff is Tony Saragusa. Pressbox urges you to drink a beer or two in honor of Tony Saragusa. We have partnered with Guilford Hall Brewery to release Goose Flights, a delicious lager to honor Tony's legacy and how his family is continuing to celebrate him with the Goose Flights Foundation. The Goose Flights Foundation is now run by Tony's kids and provides non-emergency medical transport to those in need. You can buy six packs and single cans of Goose Flights at Guilford Hall Brewery and the Costas Inn, with single cans also available at Alonzo's in Roland Park and the Glorious Grill locations in Maryland. Or you can purchase six packs and cases also available at the Wine Source in Hampton. Raise a glass to Tony and support this great foundation. Go to pressboxonline.com slash gooseflights to learn all about it. Uh, moving on, you know, we've been talking all offseason, Ryan, about uh, the Orioles and being linked to starting pitchers. We have barely talked about position players, barely talked about adding a bat to this lineup. The bat that they added to the lineup last year was Adam Frazier, one-year, $8 million. He just signed a one-year deal with the Kansas City Royals. Adam Frazier, his first two starts with the Orioles, he went five for eight with three doubles, a home run, two RBIs, and five runs scored. After that, the rest of the month, he slashed 176, 256, 257, 513 the rest of April. Really good in May. Really good in July. He did not homer after his 13th home run that he hit um, for, for the season in like mid to late July. Never homered again. Really clutch, notching 12 of his 13 home runs when the game was within three runs and nine of his 13 within two runs. Not to mention maybe the biggest hit of the Orioles season, his bottom of the ninth, two out, two strike uh, double that scored Jorge Mateo from first base to score the tying run in a game the Orioles would end up winning over the Tampa Bay Rays to help them clinch the postseason. I never had anything personally against Adam Frazier. Lord knows he was certainly better than, than Ruth Neto Dor Ryan. My biggest issue with him was that he played day in and day out the second half of the season when you had Jordan Westberg on the roster. Um, you know, I didn't care if Ramona Rios played. I didn't care if Jorge Mateo played. Jordan Westberg, to me, I've already said at the beginning of the show how much I love this guy and how much of a baller I think he is. Uh, you couldn't justify it to me batting or playing Adam Frazier over Jordan Westberg, and yet they continued to do it. Um, with that in mind, the Orioles have been talking about bringing in a veteran infielder. It's always on their list of things that they want to do in the offseason. Is there anybody who you would like to see sign with the Orioles in that role? Uh, no, there's not. Because I think we have too many good infielders already. And I don't want someone taking away playing time from the young guys the way we saw Adam Frazier do last year. Now, Adam Frazier was, like you said, incredibly clutch. He came, he came through in some really, really big moments for the Orioles. That that RBI double to score Mateo after a really great at-bat down to their final strike. The Ravens had just blown a lead to the Colts and lost that game. No, that wasn't the, the Orioles same game. were trying to clinch. I was at the Colts the game. And I was, they were, the Ravens had just beaten the Bengals to like 27-21. Oh, that's right. Okay, sorry. I went to too many, too many Orioles games in September watching Ravens games on my phone. They, they kind of got jumbled together. But uh, yeah, so thank you for the correction there. Um, look, Adam Frazier had that Rugnetto door in him, in mm -hmm. the, the clutch gene, right? And I, I tweeted that last year, and I thought it was fitting. But 
Oh, Ruben Edador, by the way, I meant to mention this last week, signed yep, in uh, Japan. I believe with the, the Yumi Ori Giants. I, I could be did. wrong on the team. But, dude, I think I think Edador is going to be Oh, he's absolutely going to be a hero gonna over there. Rake. He's going to He's like 30 years old, man. He's still young. He is absolutely going to go over there and hit like 320 with like 30 home runs and be an absolute legend in Japan. He's going to have like it, it's going to be like an Eric Thames, Willie Mo Pena, Vladimir Ballantine. Like it's going to be that kind of career over there. I think Arrestus for, Estrade. For uh, a friend of the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Look, I, 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 I don't want the Orioles to bring in a veteran just for the sake of bringing in a veteran. I think these guys have matured so quickly. Like I, I look at I look at Gunnar Henderson as a veteran already, and it, it, that might be crazy to say, but the way he carries himself, the way he was able to make adjustments throughout the year and get better, the way he was able to learn from guys like Adam Frazier who were on the team last year, I, I, I don't think they need another body for the sake of having a body. Which brings me to another point, Paul, that I didn't I didn't put this in the notes because I didn't really see where it fit. I was just hoping it would happen organically. Uh, the Orioles. For, for some reason, reacquired Tyler Nevin in a trade with the Detroit Tigers in exchange for cash considerations. He's out of options. He has never been good at the big league level. We have so many infielders. Why? 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 Dude, I, I why? Didn't put it in the notes because I couldn't justify why they would bring him in. Like exactly. there's, there's no reason for it. It makes absolutely no sense. It's a depth move, but you got to get him there. You got to get him to the minor leagues. He's not going to be on the big league. If if Tyler Nevin is on the Orioles big league roster beyond spring training, something terrible has happened. Like that's just what it is because he has no business yeah. playing first base over Ryan Mountcastle or Ryan O'Hearn. He has no business playing third base over Jordan Westberg or Gunnar Henderson. He has no business playing the outfield over Austin Hayes or Anthony Santander or Colton Kalser or Heston Kerstad. And he really, he really has no business playing first base, third base of the outfield in triple a. It makes absolutely no sense to me. And people are like, Oh, let's read the tea leaves. Maybe the Orioles are going to make a trade and they need, they're going to trade away some of their infield depth. Well, that's not happening because they they talked what's his name? Um what's his name? Michael Elias talked about Joey Ortiz and Connor Norby getting significant big league time this year. He talked about not wanting he didn't they he said no to the White Sox when they asked for Jordan Westberg. He he's not trading those guys and he's certainly not replacing them with Tyler Nevin. It makes no sense. And the Orioles, by the way, still have Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias on this team. And they've kind of become afterthoughts to me as well, even though they started a ton of games of, I, last year. I think Mateo stays. I think Arias is getting traded. I think, yeah, I, I think there's there's too much value there for a, a gold glove third baseman. Um, I, I think I think he gets moved. But, I mean, something's got to give. And adding Nevin to, you know, he's he's going to end up yep. designated for assignment and clear, clear waivers maybe and go to AAA. And I know he's still friends with some of these guys. Uh, he was golfing with with Adley and and I think Stowers and a, a couple other guys that you know saw posts on Instagram. So he's still friends with a lot of the guys over here. So like I and I have I have no ill he's will towards the good. guy. I mean I'm I mean I'm sure he's he's been solid in AAA. I think he hit three twenty there last year. He hits well against lefties, um, but just hasn't put it together at the big league level. Um, on the flip side of that, someone who hits lefties well and has put it together at the big league level for a long time, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about him because you put a lot of notes, is Justin Turner. Yeah, Justin Turner is a guy away. who I've gone back and forth with. Um, and look, if you're willing to bring Tyler Nevin into the organization, you should be willing to bring in Justin Turner. And you can pay, you gave uh, Anthony Santander just under $12 million. You gave Craig Kimbrell $13 million. You can give Justin Turner $12 million to come play for you. Um, at the age of 38 with Boston last year, not a career high in hits and RBIs while posting his second best career numbers in runs and total bases. He also struck out a career high 110 times and his 114 OPS plus was his lowest since 2013, though still 14 points better than league average. His 2023 slash lines, 273, 336, 430, 766 with a 109 OPS plus versus right-handed pitching. 
285, 372, 528, 900 with a 142 OPS plus for versus left-handed pitching. Pretty even splits in his career versus righties and lefties um, overall. But, uh, his OPS is 830 versus right-handed pitching, 826 versus left-handed pitching. He's going to end this season likely with 1,500 hits, 200 home runs, 350 doubles, 800, RB, 800 RBIs. This guy was a farmhand for the Orioles who got a cup of coffee in Baltimore playing second base for them back in like 2006. or, or I, I'm sorry, it was like 2008 or 2009, something like that. He's put together a really solid career. His defense is absolutely disintegrated at third base and second base. He's mainly a first base and DH, but he can play third. He can play second. Defensive versatility is why I've gone back and forth on him. It's his bat that, like, if you put Justin Turner in this Orioles lineup, their lineup becomes elite. It becomes one of the best lineups in baseball. It's not because I think that he is, you know, that that guy that is going to hit 35, 40 home runs, but it's because he's going to put the bat on the ball. He's going to hit a lot of doubles. He's going to hit 20 home runs. He's going to drive in runs. And he's going to get on base. And you put him in the like somewhere in the middle of your order, whether he's batting fourth, fifth, or sixth, Justin Turner would really help this team offensively. And But it would be at the cost of somebody like a Ryan O'Hearn. I, that, I, like I said, I've gone back and forth on it. What would be your thoughts on the Orioles signing a Justin Turner? I don't think it would move the needle for me as much as it would for you. Um, then that's not to take away from Turner. It just it, it's just on paper a move that doesn't excite that wouldn't excite me a ton. I do think he'd be a good bat to have in the middle of the lineup. I do think that he I I, I feel like I can just picture a Justin Turner highlight reel of him just poking line drives mm-hmm. over the second baseman's head. And you need a guy like that in the lineup. So I guess maybe I'm talking myself into it a little bit. He is 38. I, I think it'd create, you know, it, it would take playing time away from guys who I think deserve it. Uh, but with that said, yeah, I mean, he'd help the lineup. He's a good bat. Despite his age, he's still, you know, mm-hmm. being productive. We, we saw that last year. So, yeah, I mean, I'd be fine with it. I, I don't I don't think I would clamor for it. But I also certainly wouldn't yeah. be upset if it happened. You're uh, still you're going to get 150 play. plus games out of Gunnar Henderson, assuming he's healthy, right? Um, you're still going to get 130 plus games out of Jordan Westbrook and hopefully out of Jackson Holiday. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, to me, maybe even if you sign, maybe even if you sign Justin Turner as an insurance policy now look you don't sign an insurance policy as you don't sign justin turner as an insurance policy but maybe it lights a fire under ryan mountcastle i think this is mountcastle's last opportunity to put together a big season you know uh, he he looked really good coming back from vertigo last year before he hurt the shoulder um he's been too streaky of a hitter you don't know that ryan o'hearn is going to replicate what he did last year uh everything from his career suggests that he won't uh, to me, you have ju- if you have Justin Turner, that's a guy who you can split time with him at first base, at third base. You can DH him a little bit, um, and then if he's if he's still a productive player, maybe you move him at the deadline to get a Dylan Cease at the deadline. Uh, to to me, Justin Turner makes a lot of sense, but I also understand that he doesn't make a lot of sense for where this team's at right now. I just I look at their lineup and I don't think it's complete. I think it's really good but you don't have that true four hitter. You don't have him. It, it, Ryan Mountcastle, love him. Yeah. Anthony Santander, love him. Those guys are five, six hitters. They are not three, four hitters. Uh, uh, Justin Turner solves that problem for you. So, Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, my, my counterpoint to that would be we two years ago, we saw the Orioles trade away mm-hmm. Trey Mancini, and that was a very hard – decision for the front office to make and it was a very hard thing for fans to be okay with because of what mancini meant to the orioles and to us with that said if you knew ball you kind of knew like yeah mancini was kind of being squeezed out by his you know lack of positional versatility where he you know he's a first base dh kind of type uh brian mountcastle is already here that it, it was a it was the right baseball move Right. I feel like adding a Justin Turner would be kind of like trying to replace Trey Mancini with Trey Mancini. No, he's better than Trey Mancini. In a sense. 
He's be- he's better than him, but it's the same kind of thing where it's like, does he really fit? It it I don't know. I, like I I understand your points, and I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I just I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Well, dude, and and that's know. the thing. Trust me, I'm not sold on this either. That's why I said I've gone back and forth. I'm not sitting here saying beating a table saying you have to sign Justin Turner. I firmly, if the Orioles were in on Cody Bellinger, I would say you have to sign Cody Bellinger. You have the, the, a guy yeah, who can hit yeah. in the middle of the order, he can play first base, all three outfield positions, and he's young. You have to sign him. Justin Turner, I think it gives him an opportunity of one last World Series championship. It gives the Orioles a better opportunity in a World Series championship. But I, every argument in the world for why he doesn't fit makes sense. Every argument makes sense. It's and, and honestly, I don't think it's yeah. going to happen. But look, if you're looking for a guy to bring in that can be a veteran presence, that can lead a clubhouse, and he can play a little bit of infield, that's Justin Turner. There's nobody else in baseball that I, you could justify it to me. So, hello, cats. I don't know what that one's name is. I don't know any of you. Bean? This one's we bean. have a cat named Lena, and we call her Lena Bean or Bean or Beanbag. So, uh, oh and with that in mind, sweet segue, <laughs> uh, project game day continues tomorrow. You can join Glenn, Rita and Femi. I am Badejo right here on the same press box play- pages for project game day following Ravens chiefs. If the Ravens win, the show will actually start after the NFC championship game. Well, if the Ravens lose, the show will start following the conclusion of the Ravens game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Superbook Sports, AJ Michaels, and HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. That is a big if the Ravens lose. They are so far and away better than the Kansas City Chiefs. Ryan, I've watched a lot of Kansas City Chiefs football this year because they were on TV a lot. And we have Red Zone. And I let me tell you, at no point did the Chiefs impress me. I said to myself, I knew they weren't on the Ravens' schedule. I was like, the only time the Ravens are going to play the Chiefs is in the playoffs. And Lord, give me that matchup because the Ravens are going to blow them away. Last week, I said Ravens 31, uh, 41, Texans 24. Um, Ravens won that game 34 to 10. It could be similar. The, the Chiefs are going to put up more than 10 points, but I think the Ravens are going to beat them by at least two scores. Yeah, I, I think this is uh, a statement game for Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that I, – I didn't think the Chiefs would get this far. I didn't, I didn't think they were so good either. enough. I thought they had too many – I thought they had too many problems. I think that the way Mahomes has handled adversity has not been great, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, I think it's kind of a, a – a circus act at this point with the, the media coverage that they're getting because of mm-hmm. who their tight end is dating. Um, like I just, I, I, the Ravens are, I think far and away the better team in just about every facet of the game. And the Ravens need to come out and prove that they cannot afford to come out flat, give the chiefs any momentum at the start. They need to get out to an early lead and the fans mm-hmm. need to be loud. We have seen before the game that, the, the Bengals game when, when Joe Burrow got injured earlier this year, we saw the impact that the fans were having on that game early before Burrow got knocked out. If the bank is rocking, like I think it's going to be for the first ASC championship game in M&T bank stadium history and in Baltimore Ravens history, I think the chiefs are going to have a heck of a time getting anything together. I think we're going to be breaking mm-hmm. some decibel records it's already loud as heck in there for a regular season game against the Bengals. AFC Championship game against the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is not going to be able to hear anything. Uh, he's already come out and said that the Ravens are one of, I think, two stadiums. He said where he's had to use a silent count because he couldn't hear that anything. And no one season. could hear him. Make, yeah, make it a problem for the Kansas City Chiefs offense. If you are going to that game, I implore you. They're giving away rally towels. Wave them if you want, but you better mm-hmm. be yelling at the same time. Be as loud as you can. If you have a voice at the end of that game, you have done something terribly wrong. I wish I could go. I would be screaming my head off. Make life hell for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And I think the Ravens are going to take care of I business. I do too. And I keep I really thinking do. the guy who I think is going to make the biggest difference on the defensive side of the football, it would be easy to say Roquan Smith. Kyle Hamilton is going to be the difference maker on that defense tomorrow. Um, covering Travis Kelsey, playing in the slot. That dude doesn't miss tackles. He just hits. He hits. He hits. I think he's the best safety in football. 
I think he's a difference maker on the defense tomorrow. Uh, my prediction for this game, Ravens 41, Chiefs 24. I don't think it's I, I don't think it's going to be close. And I think it could be 41-17 late in the fourth quarter, and they could get a garbage time touchdown. I do not think that it's going to be close. I'm going to take uh, – give me the Ravens 33-27. You think it's going to be a close game? I no, uh, 33-24. 33-24. Sure? All right, 33-24. Yeah. You heard it here. 41-24 uh, from my take. 33-24 from Ryan's take. Ravens-Chiefs, biggest game in the history of M&T Bank Stadium. Get out there. If you're going to be at the game, God bless you for having that kind of money. Get out there. Be loud. <laughs> be loud. Uh, they, they forced six false starts last week. You know, six false starts. Yeah, you can do that again this week. Get out, and I think that that their right guard or left one of their starting guards is out. Joe Joe Thune, I think, is his name. Uh, Or was he the guy was out last year? I don't know. But uh, yeah, listen, we we saw Burrow frustratedly call timeouts in the first quarter of that regular season game. If Patrick Mahomes isn't pissed off by the end of his first drive, yeah, there's a problem. Be, be loud. Make it hell. I, I know I already said Go that. Ravens. Go Ravens. Let's get baby. this. Hopefully next week we're talking about the Ravens going to the Super Bowl. Thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Without either of you, we do not have a show. Thanks to Ryan, as always, for your great work. Go Ravens. Go O's. Until next week. See ya.